Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. Uh, Acts 21, we're going to uh, finish the last few va- uh, verses in that chapter and then go through chapter 22 this Lord's Day. Uh, if you were with us last week, you know that we left off with Paul arriving there in Jerusalem. The, God had led him to go there. The Spirit had compelled him to go. And yet he knew he would suffer when he arrived. In fact, others knew that as well and tried to discourage Paul from going because they didn't want him to suffer And yet he knew that the Lord was calling him to Jerusalem. And so he goes there. Uh, Initially, there's great rejoicing because the Gentiles have heard and responded to the gospel. But very quickly, uh, Paul finds that there's a lot of gossip, a lot of slander that is coming to the Jerusalem church concerning him, concerning uh, whether or not he still follows the Jewish tradition, whether he is still Jewish enough for the church there in Jerusalem. And as this gossip and slander spreads... The leaders of the church suggest a plan. Uh, They suggest that Paul go to the temple, that he uh, pay for the sacrifice of four men who were under a vow, that he himself uh, go through a purification vow. And so Paul takes these steps, but the gossip, the slander gets deeper, gets worse, and ultimately a mob forms seeking to kill Paul, accusing him of bringing a Greek into the temple, which he had not done. And so that's where we find ourselves this Lord's Day as we open up this text in Acts 21. We pick up in verse 37 where Paul has now been arrested. Uh, A Roman Roman guard steps in, arrests him, which keeps him from being killed. And and as we then find Paul there, we find him in the midst of suffering, pointing people to the gospel of Jesus. And so today as we read this text, I want you to consider how Paul responds to suffering in his life as a guide for how we might respond to suffering in our lives, for we, we all suffer. Some of you, perhaps today, you, you are suffering. There's a trial, there's an affliction, perhaps uh, you are still grieving something that's taking place. For others, it is something that is coming. And so we need to be prepared through the winds of God's Word. And so we're going to look at Acts 21, verse 37, uh, through chapter 2, verse 29. If you're able, if you would stand out of reverence for God's Word, as I read it for us this morning. Acts 21, beginning here now in verse 37, this is what we read. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and sisters, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus, to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. 
As I was on my way and drew near Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus. And there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw Him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in You. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by in a proving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. But Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Father God, we ask that you would use this word in our lives today. Lord, that we might better understand the gospel And that we might better understand the purpose and plan you have for suffering in the lives of those who follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I recently was driving by myself in the car and decided that I would stop there on the radio as I was turning the dial and listen to What I knew I would not agree with was a popular prosperity teacher who was teaching about the health and wealth that comes to those who truly believe. And as he started to preach, I started to experience road rage. (laughs) 
Because the gospel he was preaching was a very false gospel. His gospel was basically this. If you believe enough, if you have enough faith, then God will just pour out blessings into your life. And if your life is not blessed, if you are suffering, if you're experiencing trials or hardships or afflictions, then that means you don't have enough faith. If you just have enough faith, everything will get better. If you just have enough faith, he continued to say, you will be a victor, not a victim. And as he continued in his false gospel claims, I considered, I wonder what this prosperity preacher would have to say to the Apostle Paul. (laughs) The Apostle Paul, who we find now in Jerusalem, suffering. The Apostle Paul, who in city after city, as he proclaimed the gospel, he suffered. I wonder what the prosperity preachers of today would have had to say to Paul. Paul, just have more faith. (laughs) Paul, that's a great offering you bought to Jerusalem, but if you hadn't talked about suffering so much and you just had more faith, you could have brought ten times that offering. But Paul, don't worry about that angry mob just... Turn your hard times into a victory and just wait to see the blessing around the corner. If you just have a positive attitude, Paul, everything's going to work out for you. I know what the prosperity preacher would not say to Paul. (laughs) They would not say to Paul, Paul, the Lord has planned and the Lord has purpose for suffering in your life. And yet that's exactly the claim that we find in the pages of Scripture over and over and over again. This prosperity preacher went on even to point out how many that the Scriptures affirm for their faith in the midst of suffering, he went on to say, well, if they just had more faith, they never would have suffered in the first place. Friends, if you are listening to someone like that, watching them on TV, reading their books, know this. It's a false gospel. It's a lie from hell. And it is leading many people astray. Many people, it's saying to them, if you just think better, if you just think more positive, you'll be okay. But friends, the Scripture does not say that. The Scripture says if you repent and turn from your sin, you will be saved. And so when it comes to this whole issue of suffering, the prosperity gospel has nothing to offer Because the prosperity gospel doesn't have a place for suffering because suffering in their eyes is something that comes as a result of not having faith. And yet when we come to passages like this one, we find God using suffering in the lives of those who are faithful to Him. And that should be good news to us this morning. Because some of you in this room right now, you're you're suffering. You're, You're going through a trial and affliction. Some of you have suffered. Some of you have lost immeasurably more than many of us have. For others, God may be preparing you for suffering that is to come. And if we don't turn to His Word and learn the place of suffering in the Christian life, then all we have left is the loud voices and the best-selling books of a false gospel from a health and wealth culture. And so as we look at this passage today, I want to look at it in light of that and consider what we can learn here about the role of suffering in the life of those who follow Christ. Beginning with the first point there you have in your outline, we find that suffering reveals 
Suffering reveals the source of our hope. Now consider the context here. Paul has been slandered. Now, there's much gossip about Paul. Paul's not as Jewish as he once was. Paul doesn't follow the teachings of Moses anymore. Paul is teaching people to abandon their Jewish tradition. And all this gossip and all this slander has gone before him into Jerusalem. And so, so he is going to the temple under the suggestion of the leaders in the Jerusalem church thinking somehow he can fix this by showing that he still observes some of this Jewish tradition. But what happens when he goes there? People begin to shout out to him. People begin to slander him. People begin to gossip about him again. They tell him he brought a Gentile into the Jewish temple, which was a huge issue. Now Luke points out to us that he didn't. Uh, This one that they say he brought, Trophimus, was a Gentile. He was Greek. Paul had been in town with him. He hadn't been at the temple with him. And so now this accusation is brought forward. And Paul stands up in verse 1 of chapter 22. And he says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. Now think about that for a moment. Paul has been lied about. Paul has been slandered. And Paul steps up to address those who have lied about him and says, let me offer a defense. What would you assume then that Paul was going to talk about? If someone slanders you, if someone lies about you, and then you have an opportunity to address those who've heard that lie, and you stand up to address them, well, what naturally are you probably going to speak about? Chances are you're going to defend yourself. <laughs> chances are you're going to tell them the truth. Chances are you're going to point out, no, that's slander, that's gossip, that's a lie. Let me tell you what really happens. But notice that's not what Paul does here. And we should ask ourselves, why? Because that's, that's really what we would do, isn't it? After I'd been at Bloomfield for just a few months, I had the opportunity to sit down and have lunch with Brother Mark Terry. Many of you know Brother Mark from his time here at Bloomfield. He was the pastor here for about five years, long enough to get his name on a quilt. And so uh, he then went overseas and uh, was serving overseas until just recently. He's back in the States now. But as I was having lunch with uh, Brother Mark, we were talking about Bloomfield and he was asking me questions, and I remember him looking up at me with a grin, and he said, well, have you been Bloomfielded yet? I wasn't sure what that was, so I was pretty sure I hadn't been. wasn't sure the difference between Bloomfielded or Chaplained or Fairfielded or anything else, but, but I said, I'm not sure, what, what do you mean by that? And so he went on to tell me about several occasions when he had been here in those five years where something got misunderstood, something got miscommunicated, and as we talked about last week, then the gossip chain started. And when he was talking about being Bloomfield, he was talking about kind of being blindsided by this story out of left field that wasn't true at all. So he told me, for example, uh, about a situation he had in the church. And without going into all the details, basically uh, there was a church member upset at him. Uh, that happens. I don't know if you all know that. Sometimes church members get upset at, at former pastors. But anyways, he, uh, he was upset with him. And so Brother Mark saw him at Bartsmart one day. And just in an effort to make peace with him, he walked up and just talked to him, and he kind of patted him on the back and then then walked away. Well, the word that got around was that Brother Mark had gotten in a fist fight at Bartsmart. Now how they went from pat on the back to fist fight, I don't know. But he started getting phone calls. (laughs) Are you okay? What happened? We heard about the fights. He got bloom-filled, he told me. 
And so what's the natural response to that is to stand up and say, I didn't take a swing at a guy at Bart Smarts this week. You know, that, that, that was not what you heard. Let me tell you what really happened. That's what we would do, isn't it? And so we fully expect Paul to stand up before this crowd and say, hey, listen, just go get Trophimus. He'll tell you he wasn't in the temple. Hey, hey, who saw Trophimus in the temple? Nobody saw him in the temple. I know that. Why? Because he wasn't in the temple. It would be to clear his name. And yet, notice what Paul does. He doesn't even mention Trophimus. He doesn't make an attempt to clear his name. Paul, in the midst of his suffering, is focusing on his suffering as an opportunity to share the gospel. And so rather than speak up and protect his reputation and his name, he takes this opportunity to share the name of Jesus. Rather than step up and say, no, listen, let me tell you how Jewish I still am, he stands up and says, let me tell you about Jesus who died for the Jew and for the Gentile. And friends, that's, that's extraordinary. Because Paul goes against what our gut tells us to do. <laughs> We've talked about this, haven't we? How so often the, the culture says, well, just go with your gut. What does your gut tell you to do when you're falsely accused? Come out swinging. <laughs> and not only defend yourself, but just take down the one who falsely accused you. Well, not only did I not do that or say that, let me tell you about your source. But notice what Paul does here. He takes his suffering and his affliction and he uses it as an opportunity to tell others about Jesus. Hey, here's the point. When you go through something hard, when, when the carpet's just pulled out from under you, people stop and they notice and they pay attention to you. And so in that moment, what you can do with that is you can either say, look at me, help me, let's talk about me. Or in that moment, in that opportunity, you can point them to someone else. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's using his suffering as an opportunity to point people to Jesus. And I believe that's what God's Word calls us to do as well. Pastor Chuck Swindoll, some of you know that name, pastor for years, written many books. He shared a story along these lines a number of years ago in one of his books titled The Darkness and the Dawn. And in it, he told the story about a physician there in Texas that he knew and a patient of that physician, the patient was named Edith Burns. And he talked about how this doctor would share how Edith was such a delight and just had this great countenance and was always smiling. And, and something unique about her is the way she would introduce herself. Uh, she would always go up to people and say, Hello, my, my name is Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? <laughs> it didn't matter if it was the Easter season or not. That's the way she would introduce herself. Why? Because suddenly she would be in a gospel conversation with people. And she would tell people about Jesus and the resurrection. That was what she did with everyone she talked to. So this doctor shared with Dr. Swindoll how he'd go into his lobby and there she was talking to another nurse, talking to another patient. Hello, my name's Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? He shared about how hard it was for this doctor one day to, to sit down with Edith and tell her some really just terrible news had to tell Edith that she had cancer. That the cancer had spread through most of her body. 
and apart from a miracle, that she was going to die within a few months. He recounted how Edith received that news. She just kept smiling. (laughs) And so the doctor tried to comfort her and say, well, Edith, you know, there might be some medication, there might be something we can do. And she just said, Doctor, I'm, I'm fine. I've been telling people about Easter for so long now. Now I get to go be with my resurrected Savior. Now I get to go experience Easter for all of eternity. And so this news did not come to Edith as a discouragement. It, it fueled her passion to tell others about the gospel in the brief time she had left on this earth. Swindoll went on to share how soon after that she was hospitalized and every nurse, every attendant, every person who came into her room, whether they were delivering a meal or checking her blood pressure, she would say the same thing. Hello, my name is Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? And she would share the Gospel. And he talked about how there was one nurse, though, that was, was very hardened towards Edith. A woman named Phyllis Cross. She was a nurse and She had experienced and seen so much pain and suffering in people's lives that she didn't really want to have anything to do with those who profess faith in Christ. And so she was civil with Edith, but she didn't want to have anything to do with her faith. And so Edith saw this and she would often say to her, Phyllis, I've asked the Lord not to take me home until you've placed your faith in Christ. Phyllis said to her, Edith, you're going to live a long life then (laughs) because I'm not doing it. But over time, as she witnessed Edith's witness in the midst of suffering and pain, God began to soften her heart until one day she went to Edith and said, Edith, I have a question for you. You always introduce yourself to everyone saying, my name is Edith Burns, do you believe in Easter? But Edith, you've never asked me that question. Edith said, well, Phyllis, the reason I didn't is because I sensed the Lord and His Spirit just telling me not to ask, not to talk about it, until you were ready. And so let me talk to you about it now. And she opened up the word and she shared the gospel with her. And this nurse with this hardened heart repented and placed her faith in Jesus. A few days later, she walks into the room and there was Edith. She had passed away. Laying in her hands was her Bible. Turn to John chapter 14. To this passage. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Swindoll recounted how Phyllis then folded up that Bible, walked out to the desk where there was a new nurse on call, and said to that nurse, My name is Phyllis Cross. Do you believe in Easter? What Edith taught her and what Edith is still teaching us is that our suffering is an opportunity to focus people on the gospel of Jesus. Because when we're at the award banquet and we say, well, I just want to thank God. Or we're in the end zone and we've scored the game-winning touchdown. Well, I just want to thank God. That's a whole different thing. When we're laying in a bed dying of cancer and we say, I just want to thank God. God in His goodness gives us that opportunity. And God in His goodness helps us to see in that opportunity where our hope truly lies. And you find out real quick when someone's suffering where their hope truly lies. We also see God using suffering 
in our lives in the following way. Point two, suffering exposes what we believe. God uses suffering to expose very quickly what what it is we believe, specifically what we believe about suffering and about God and about God's sovereignty over these things. Because here's the temptation. When we suffer and when awful things happen, we are tempted to believe that somehow those things are outside of God's control. And so here's God. He's got control of all these things. So we get the touchdown. Oh, thank you, God. We win the award. Oh, thank you, God. But somehow we think, or we're tempted to think, that suffering's just kind of floating out there in the atmosphere outside of the reach of God. And so when it happens in our lives, well, God didn't have control over that. God, God must have been surprised by that just like we were. See, it's easier to view it that way than to wrestle with the truth of Scripture, which is God is sovereign over all things. And God sovereignly brings suffering into our lives for His purposes. See, what Paul goes on to communicate to this crowd as he shares his testimony, rather than defending himself, he defends the truth of the Gospel, and he makes it real clear The call to the gospel is a call to suffer. And he starts sharing, for example, about how he responded to the Lord. Now think about this for a second. Saul responds to the Lord. And what's the first thing that comes into his life? Blindness. He calls Jesus Lord, and now he's blind. Now think about that. Well, what's the prosperity preacher have to say about that? Prosperity preacher says, oh, you're blind? Well, come to me, and if you have enough faith, then you'll be able to see. Because God doesn't want you to be blind. He doesn't want you to be sick. He doesn't want you to be poor. What happens to Paul? Paul sees fine. He responds to the gospel, and now he's blind. And so the Lord tells him, okay, you want to see again? Well, go see this guy Ananias, and you'll receive your sight. So great, Paul's going to receive his sight. But do you remember what the Lord told Ananias? Now when Paul comes, make sure you tell him how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake. Think about that. You respond in faith to the gospel and suddenly you, you lose your sight. And then the Lord says, oh, you'll see again. Just go over here. You go over there. Okay, you can see. Now I have another message from the Lord. Your life is going to be filled with suffering and affliction. What's a prosperity preacher have to say about that? Doesn't have to say much because they preach a false gospel. But what we see Paul doing here is responding to the true gospel and going on to share how the Christian life is a life of suffering. The Christian life is a call to suffer. And if we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to live the Christian life, we need to understand the role that God has for suffering in that context. And we begin by seeing here that suffering is not proportional. That there's not a suffering meter that we're all born with. (laughs) And so we're all going to suffer the same amount or suffer in the same ways. We're going to suffer in very different ways. And some of you, even now, you you are overwhelmed by suffering in your life. It's not proportional. We need to understand something else. Suffering isn't something that we can just explain away in some cookie-cutter sort of way, some little formula where we give a little bumper sticker and say, well, 
you know, turn that frown upside down and you're okay now. It's all good. Once you understand everything, it's all good. Because sometimes, friends, we don't understand everything. Not this side of eternity. And we need to be careful about the counsel we give others when we start to say things like that to them. Well, it'll all make sense pretty soon. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. You might remember a little over ten years ago, a pastor in Indiana, January 1st, he was driving past his church, he had his wife and his three young children with him. Wasn't a cloud in the sky, wasn't windy, wasn't stormy. On a two-lane road, no other traffic, and as he's driving down the road, a dead tree falls over, lands on the car, kills him, his wife, and two of his three kids. How do you explain that? The little girl that lived was four years old. She's a teenager now. What, what do you say to her? What, what does the prosperity preacher say to her? If you have enough faith, you'll have victory. Victory over what? Mom and dad, brother and sister are in a grave. How do you explain that? How do you, how do you comfort somebody with that by trying to put that into a formula that, well, just around the corner, there's a blessing coming? Paul understood the role of suffering in the Christian's life. That it wasn't a formula. It wasn't a turn that frown upside down. It wasn't a look around the corner for a blessing. But it was a call to put our eyes on something we cannot see. And to stop focusing so much on this world and to set our hearts and our gaze on the world to come. Listen to the words of one who suffered. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. Now think about that. What is our temptation when we suffer? It's to lose heart. Paul says don't do it. Don't lose heart. Here's why. Though our outer self is wasting away. Paul knew this. He's standing before that mob. They want to kill him. And he's not saying, well, there's a blessing around the corner. There's a victory that's coming. No, he knows this. The outer self is wasting away. But here's what he said. But our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. Momentary. Is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so what the Gospel does is it calls you to do what doesn't make sense. Look at something you cannot see. <laughs> And what your flesh response to suffering is, is to look to what you can see. But the Gospel's clear. What you can see is transient, temporary, wasting away, fading, only for a moment. And what you can't see, but what you can gaze upon and put your hope in, is a new day's coming. Not, not here. There. And, and all affliction. All suffering, all disease, true health and wealth is found in a kingdom that is to come. And when we suffer, we find out real quick 
If our eyes are focused on the things of this world, are focused on the things that are coming, and we find out real quick what we really believe about God. Friends, as you read God's Word, you will find that suffering is not some ambiguous category floating around out there that God has no control over. You'll find that God is sovereign over it. And He uses it for His good purposes. And you can't always see that. And you can't always understand that. But He calls you to trust in the Gospel and to trust in Him in the midst of that. Paul knew what Jesus had said, John 16, that in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. During my road rage listening to the false gospel prosperity preacher, he kept saying the word victory. Well, you'll have victory. If you have enough faith, you'll have victory. You won't suffer, you'll have victory. And so I thought, you know, what, what does the Scripture say about victory? And, and the passage you find in the New Testament that says victory the most is 1 Corinthians 15. Do you know what it says about victory? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul describes how that victory is accomplished. It's accomplished through Jesus suffering and dying on the cross in our place that we might one day have life in Him. And he doesn't talk about victory in a temporal sense or in an earthly sense. He says, Victory comes through faith in Jesus and victory comes one day in a new heaven and a new earth. And if you're, you're putting your hope in this world and in all these prosperity sayings, blessing, victory, all these things now, you're setting yourself up for great disappointment. And, and the honest truth is you're believing in a lesser gospel <laughs> because the gospel in the Scripture is one of health and wealth that is to come in a place where there is no more sickness and there is no more need and there is no more want. Where we're fully content and found in Jesus and we want from nothing else. You can't get more healthy or wealthy than that. And yet they want to tell us if our house is big enough, that's it. If you got enough digits in your bank account, there it is. The Gospel says those things are transient, but thanks be to God who gives us victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we see God doing with Paul and what we see Him doing in our lives is this suffering. It's kind of like the mama bird pushing the baby bird out the nest. <laughs> that, that suffering forces us then into growth in our walk with the Lord. And we have to decide in that moment, am I going to trust Him or am I not going to trust Him? But for those who will, point three, we find this. Suffering grows our faith in Christ. God does something when we suffer. Something unique. He, he, he grows us in our faith because we're called as Christians to be conformed to the image of Christ and become more like Christ. And here's what the prosperity preacher misses. Jesus suffered. And we are called to follow Jesus in His sufferings. That's what the Bible says. The Gospel doesn't say, trust Christ, follow Him, and you'll never suffer again. It says quite the opposite. 
2 Peter 2.21 For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. Do you hear that, Christian? Christ is our example. We are following His steps. That's not just turn the other cheek. That's also come and die. And Paul here follows in the steps of Jesus in a way that I don't know that any of us can fully comprehend and I doubt any of us will ever experience. Because here's Paul standing in the same city that not long before Jesus had stood in. And here's Paul standing before an angry mob in the city where Jesus stood before an angry mob. And the words that yelled at him are the words that yelled to Jesus. Verse 22, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Those echo the words that they yelled about Jesus in Luke 23. Away with such a man. And so here Paul is called to walk in the path of Jesus, to suffer like Jesus, that his faith might be more firmly rooted in Jesus. And so what we see happening with Paul is what we see happening in our own lives. God does something through suffering I don't think He does any other way. And if you've suffered, and you've sought to walk in faith through that suffering, then, then you know you know this. If you know C.S. Lewis's story, you know that he suffered, and he would go on to write about that suffering, and here's something he noted about it. Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences but He shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And friends, what the Gospel call is, is it's a call to wake up and to see that that suffering has a place in a Christian life. And that me and no one else can come to you and in this pretty little formula say, well, you know what? You got this because you got this and it's all going to produce this. But we are called to say, look, look to the cross. And when you suffer, immeasurably when you suffer, remember this, Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that has been revealed to us. And so here we have Paul, who towards the end of this passage is able to speak up and say, listen, I'm, I'm a Roman. <laughs> Can you really do this to me? And what happens? The beating stops. But it didn't stop for Jesus. It kept coming. And it drove Him to the cross where He endured more than we can possibly imagine. Why? So that we might have life. And so that in our suffering, we might consider what God's Word says to us. Do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look, we look not to things that are seen, 
But the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If you would, pray with me. Father God, I pray that you might set all of our sights on that which is unseen. And Lord, the mystery here is how do you, how do you see something that you can't see? How do you look at something you can't see? But Lord, that's where you call us to put our hope and our faith in the gospel. We can see your word this morning. We can see the truth of it. We can see the gospel. Since Adam and Eve, we have been rebelling against you, but in your goodness and grace, you pursued us and you showed us mercy. You are showing your mercy right now to us now, right here in this room. To allow us to be here and to hear your word and not to be wiped off the face of the earth. The only one who can justly say, away with them, rid this earth of them, is you, Lord, because you're righteous and we're not. And yet, Lord, you, you poured out that wrath on one who knew no sin that we might receive a righteousness we don't deserve. And that we might walk by faith. And so, Lord, help us this morning to walk by faith. Help us to trust in You. Help us to set our gaze on that which we cannot see. Help us, Lord, to turn our sights, our eyes, from the things of this world, the disappointments of it, the the, the hardships of it, the trials of it, the afflictions of it. And Lord, for those who today are suffering and are crying out to You, Lord, how much more, how much more, Lord, I don't think I can take any more. Lord, would you do what only you can do? Would you help them to see that it is for a moment, but one day glory, glory comes. Lord, would you do this work on us through the power of the Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.